Hey Elizabeth, I don't even know what to say about Meet for Tcast. I'm a fan of you guys and I want you to keep going forever. Your conversations are fun but serious at the same time. It's so informative to be listening to you guys. It's so chilled out that it makes me want to relax and just listen. I could go on and on about you guys. You guys are the best and not just you know in the whole music thing it's just like how you have your conversations and how you build up these questions and how many turns it takes from there oh, i just love it so just please never stop recording because i don't know what i do without you guys the meet for tea cast is brought to you in part by sone lab a recording studio in east hampton massachusetts offering recording mixing and mastering of all styles of music we even master podcasts email info at sonlab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for TCAST. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meet for Tea, the Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meet for Tea. Yeah, and um, graphic designer and web guy and um, the host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. All right. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Meet for Tea cast season two. Episode... 14. 14, yeah. Can you believe it? Oh, here we are. Here we are. We are bringing you all the content thank all you for, the time. Thank you for sticking with us through this. We hope you're enjoying it. I'll put it right up front. If you're enjoying it, click like or subscribe or give us a review. With writing. Share it with your friends and we'll be greatly appreciative. Five-star reviews with writing and Apple Podcasts are the best way to help other people to find the Meat for Tea cast. That's a good one, yeah. And the writing can be what you made for dinner tonight. Yep. It can be anything you want. Yep. What perfume are you wearing today? Yep. <laughs> Sharing with your friends. Share it on social media. Tweet about us. Share it on Instagram. Share it on Facebook. It all helps. But anyway, Welcome to another episode of the Meat for Tea cast, where this time we're featuring another one of the Meat for Tea Cirques. Yes, we're digging into Cirque de Fou, which was in December 2015. And that was for the Tet de Vaux issue, right? For the Tet de Vaux issue. And there's a poignant story attached to that. We attended an unbanned show in Brooklyn. Celebrating the release of Mike Rufino's book, Adios Motherfuckers. Adios Motherfuckers. Published on uh, Anthony Bourdain's book imprint. Mm-hmm. So therefore, at the show, Anthony Bourdain was present and knowing that, I felt it would be clever of me to sign a copy of Meat for Tea from me Anthony Bourdain, you know, instead of being a fangirl asking him for his autograph. <laughs> he got yours. He got mine. And I met him 
And I gave him the Tetdevo copy of Meat for Tea, which he looked at and said, Tetdevo, nice. And <laughs> patiently posed for a quick picture with me. And then I don't, I think it was between six and nine months later that we found out that he'd met his unfortunate, sad demise. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. We miss you. You are a singular individual and you are missed. Um, statin drugs. He was on statin drugs oh, for yeah. cholesterol. Um, be cautious. Those, those can do things to moods. And if you've got a history of mood disorders, they can exacerbate them. I'm not a doctor and I'm not blaming the statin drugs, but I'm saying if you have a history of mood disorders and someone wants to put you on statin drugs, maybe just poke around a little bit, get a couple of other medical opinions. Probably a good idea, yeah. Do what keeps you healthy and well, of course. So this is all recordings that were recorded live at Sewn Lab for our release party. Mm-hmm. So if you miss the feeling of physically being at a Cirque, you can get an audio facsimile by listening to this. Yeah. You can feel like you're in a crowd with people hearing spoken word and live music and allow yourself to experience that nostalgic wonderfulness. It's an audio immersive experience. It is. Also, speaking of uh, experiences, we just released the Cirque for the 15th anniversary issue, which if you go to our Facebook page, Meet for Tea at Facebook, you can see not only the last Cirque, but the last three virtual Cirques that we've done. There are three virtual Cirques. If you just go to the Meet for Tea Facebook page and go to the events section, they're all there available for streaming. They're actually in the videos tab. In the videos tab. And I reorganized the Facebook page, uh, the Meet for Tea Facebook page, so it's even easier to find the videos tab. I think it comes right up at the top. Less work for you. Yeah. Gotta love that. And one of the things that is a feature in each of the circs so far is there's one of the bands in each one that were actually recorded live in the studio in a way that sort of represents what it would look like if you were there. So if you want to see... If you've never been there and you want to see what it's like, or if you miss being there because you have been, this will make your night. You can kind of see and hear what it might be like to be in the studio during one of these shows. The lighting is kind of similar and obviously it's the same space. So that's one way to connect. And even if you could never attend anyway because you were too far away, that's another way to see what it's like. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, without further ado, I'll, we've got we've got readers from this. We do, uh, we do, and the first one is Stephanie Baird, who I wrote a blurb for her chat book, which is out now. It was released in 2020. Duets, the Periwinkle Edition. You can find out where to get all of her writing at stephaniebairdlmhc.wordpress.com. Also, please stay tuned for. Her reading, June 3rd, which is sponsored by the Granbury Cultural Council and Granbury Library. We should try to put a link to that in the show notes somehow. We shall. So we also have reading from Ernest Brute and Jefferson Navicki. And reading from Michael Goldman. Mm. This one's interesting because he's reading a story from an author he published 
and I won't murder the name because I don't speak Danish. But he's reading it both in Danish and English, Danish first. And apparently this is the first time this person's work has ever been read and performed in English. So that's a thing. Yeah, that's pretty pretty rad. Um, also, keep your eye out for the book he co-translated, the Copenhagen Trilogies. It is blowing up. We have reading from Eleanor Lane. And some reading from Gerald Yell. And a reading from one of our lovely regulars at the Meat for Tea Cirques, and also published multiple times in Meat for Tea, Richard And a regular in the podcast of late. Yeah. Well, because all his involvement with Meat for Tea over the years, which is very, very lovely. Richard Horton. Yeah, Richard Horton. Who has a chapbook, which is out on Meat for Tea Press. Sticks and Bones. Do you own a copy? You might want to. So I think we should tuck into this without any further ado. No, wait. We have bands. We do. Gotta stick around for the music. The music. It's the icing on the cake. So we've got some excerpts of the performance that night of The Fawns. And East Hampton Savings Band. All right. Woop, woop, woop. So, yeah, stick around to the end because you don't want to miss that. Get ready to rock. But up first, let's get into some reading. It's Stephanie Baird. Okay, great. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for having me and putting a couple of my poems in this issue. I'm Stephanie Baird. Um, so uh, I've been in a few of these issues before and currently in this current issue. So everybody should go and buy one, plus all the other wonderful writing in this issue. Okay, so I'll read a couple, a few different poems. Um, this one's called First Time Jitters. Amongst the stooping blue hairs, I am served a poem spilled with rice. I quickly read your first draft, then shovel it in. I'm starving after all. Later, we readers split to another corner of this ancient dune-burrowed cafeteria. Wanting to form a cohesive critique, we leave you alone with, with our chewed up words as we search for our new headquarters. A pickle juice splattered pillow occupies the first diner booth we find. Continuing, we double back, fight with pugnacious young men to reclaim that vinegary booth. The brashest boy sticks his hand on my crotch. Only upon wakening, squinting my sand-crusted eyes, do I think to knee him. Remembering your first draft, I spit up bits and parts, like a mama bird feeding her young, the best come round, the best come round again and again. And this is, other poem is titled Time Outlaw, and this has a couple musical references, and, uh, which is kind of nice for this type of event. Who dreams of a benevolent David Bowie? Tall, blonde, mismatched eyes, his new songs protect us from ghost-ridden, derelict mansions. Cancer-ridden new waver David Gaughan pulls the knocker. I encourage him to write his last few songs before outlaw metastastic cells rewrite his genes. Other chimeras infiltrate sleep. Lovers from adolescence materialize. Straddling liminal memory, I question veracity in my alliance with time, double-taking my subconscious. Did you and I neck doubles decades ago? Photos give me pause. When one passes 40, it's hard to believe every kiss one's lived. 
Then this question, how did I come to curl beside this peppered, chin-strapped man who, with coiled chest hair, green eyes, and sweet nose, dropping early lovers left and right like dirty clothes on the way to the hamper? I thank God for the first loves. Thank God's for my last, lo my last one. At 15, I wanted to be Jamie Bond, wooing every comely face, friend or foe, competing with my brother for record foreign kisses, questing for queen and country. I sampled scoundrel, dog, and scofflaw jackets. At 30, finally relaxing into the tailor-made, imperfect coat of my last lover's arms. <clears throat> and then now, moving into a couple poems that are kind of appropriate for this time of year being um, the impending release of the next Star Wars movie. So I think a lot of us are really excited about that, uh, me included and my family. We're all three of us talking about Star Wars every day, including my almost five-year-old. So. <clears throat> so, okay. There we go, that's a little bit better. This one is called Robot Brokers. At my sixth Christmas, I received an inflatable C-3PO and female plastic doll. Both were my height, life size. They kept me company better than my bully brother or father. Ben, at six, received Japanese full metal apology robots, sported a grand tool belt for the apocalypse, and dug a grave under couch cushions. There was a funeral after all, his parents' marriage. Lyra, at three, plays with Ben's automata artifacts, plants tool belts in her waistband, and struts around like Maverick, favored, favored with all the right stuff. Six grandparents provides more company than she, can, than she can handle. May she never play with new toys brokered from the spoils of war. And this next poem is called Titrating the World. Holding the crystal to the mountain-cloaked sun, catching the last few woodland prisms, we hear the clipped tin can bang-bang of men on the loose, rifles in hand. What's that, you ask? Not yet five. I had a moment to choose how much world to titrate. But since you've been watching Star Wars and witnessed Darth Vader cut off his own son's hand, I decide to let our world fully in, swing the door wide and beckon it all. When I reply, they're hunting for deer, you stop, shipwrecked in your tracks, and make the bluest face. People hunt deer? Why? Some people eat deer, and certain times of year there are too many. People allowed to shoot deer with guns, or else they run into the roads and crash into our cars. This all sounds a little flimsy to me, but even I've eaten venison, and have thought of hunting my own, crouching behind a boulder with an expectant bow and arrow. You remain pinned to the leaf-littered path, chewing on this new information that some people want to eat deer, the same elusive animals that we toss out apple cores from our own car windows. And if I have time for one more, I don't know, do I? Elizabeth? Anyone? Okay. <clears throat> to end on a little bit more positive note, <clears throat> swagger and fly. I'd like to invite you to a game of candle pen. For you, I've, I've flipped the alley 90 degrees. Go ahead, toss those small wooden balls up, turn red alabaster pins on their head, 
See if your ball can graze vertical wall like Luke Skywalker's land speeder, hovering inches from the candle pin track, tripping over the edge, falling down the back, traveling through tubes and pipes for, some, for a sonic strike and ticket win. If the, fall, if the ball falls back to you, that's okay. Some are meant to fail, tumble down, crack open at the floor's kiss. Really, the parts easily separate, like legs and arms unscrewing from old wooden dolls. We'll screw those round wedges back together, make the crackpot ball whole again. There, have another go at tossing balls skyward. Gather and rip fast spinning tickets. Go ahead, curl, curl them beneath, curl them between weary fingers. Look, your fist is wrapped in a ticker tape bouquet. When you tire of throwing up candle pin balls, watching them disappear for strikes and tickets, or screwing gravity challenge parts together, I have a special table to show you. A collection of the finest Star Wars and Goldfinger souvenirs. Pick your prize, Millennium Falcon, TIE, or X-Wing fighters. If Star Wars isn't your thing, you can always try on gold, lame, paint, or pants. Slip into James Bond's, James Bond's Walter PPK for size. Candlepin strikes or ticket streams gets you all the borrowing you want. To own it, though, you've got to swagger and fly. That's it. Thank you. Ernest Brute. I, I put, I put, I put a red bow on a black and white checkerboard, chiffon left behind by a queen. The wood-burning stove simmered it slowly, potpourri-scented Christmas tree. I stood my Christmas tree in the corner and I trimmed it up and I faced it forward, hiding bad sides the way humans do. To uphold public view, I shed a light to shine upon Jesus Christ, just a baby in a manger, placed pine boughs in a decorative way, in a wreath of barbed wire. Granville Country Christmas, have a Granville Country Christmas, Granville Country Christmas, Merry Merry Christmas from Granville, 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 Granville. Each December morning, I opened a window on the advent calendar. Each December evening, I made sure that the tree lights were shut off. Did, 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 did Carl, Carl, did, did Carl, Carl, did, did Carl, Carl, Andre, did, did Carl, Carl, Andre, did, did Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, did, did Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, 
Did, did, Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, his, his. Did, did, Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, his, his. Did, did, Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, his, his, wife, wife. Did, did, Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, his, his, wife, wife. Did, did, Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, his, his, wife, wife. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Did, did, Carl, Carl, Andre, kill, kill, his, his, wife, wife. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I got one more question for you. Why couldn't the Indians see Christopher Columbus's ships as they approached? Meat for tea, the brand new one. Why couldn't the Indians see Christopher Columbus's ships as they approached? Didn't the frequencies enter their pupil, get projected upside down on the back of the eye? and travel by electrical signal through the optic nerve to the brain. What did the brain do? Fail to register the sight? Ignore the signals like the nerves sometimes do? When exposed to a rotten smell like garbage, when an itchy sweater continues to touch the skin, when nerves are exposed when chewing food with broken teeth after a night of grinding, grinding, grinding. What are you so nervous about? Your home? Your kids? Your personal health and well-being? When you enter a freezing cold room, fluorescent lights, Jefferson Novicki. Thanks. That was um, that was really good. I like that a lot. I'm Jefferson Novicki. I uh, heard on the radio a few months ago that Burger King sponsored this wedding for this couple. I can't really remember how they sponsored it. I think they paid for some cups and did some things like that. So I heard it on the radio and then I went to go work at the library book sale and it was in my head and this librarian kept telling me about how much this hardback was and that hardback was and like it's a quarter and that's a nickel and all I really wanted to do was write this poem. So. Luckily, nobody came to the library book sale, and this is the poem that came out of it, Burger King Wedding. Where will they? Such things important, their life together, Burger King, that's where. Pay for me, big fat pile, pay for me with cow cash. I need you to slather me in fatness, drip me with lard and friolate my uncooked whiteness. King beef me, knead the beef, knead the beef, beat the knead with a, fr big, a big frozen turd burger. On the other side of shattered, two beef shit patties, smell of a brown, brown out fat, zap me in love, 
Nuke my nuts in a frame-broiled relic. Shit out the grease. I fat patty. You? You. I do. And in our matrimonial twining, high gloss my paper sleeve and leave me slathered in your residue. Do. Do. With this ring of onion frizzle, I do whizzle your finger and lick it of all grease but mine. Get down on thy knee and tell me you love the meat. Tell me you, you love my fat forever. Let's sing our song, okay? Okay. Down at the fast food line, we got our hearts entwined forever in an order of fries. My fat is yours and your fat's mine. Oh, 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 baby, my Burger King baby. We frame, flame broiled it, we friolated it, we greased it up, we sucked him down. Baby, be mine, be my Burger King, be my Burger Queen, and I'm your beefy king. That's me, King Beef. Richard Wayne Horton. I'm Richard Horton. I do um, um, horror speculative um, uh, Southern Gothic and everything else. This, this is called The Funeral. Uh, a note to writers, uh, this was um, rejected about 10 times. So uh, hang in there. What they were doing that day. After their time on the floor pallet in the hot, darkened living room watching TV, Mama told the kids they could go outside in the yard. Someone isn't here, said Linda, when they got to the yard, and Robert and David hung their heads. But then they thought of a game. They would dig a fort in the, in the dirt, yell, run around, and pretend to shoot each other. When they were good and dirty, Mama opened the screen door and yelled, Come in now, it's time. They got sad, but when she went inside, they yelled and played some more, threw clods of dirt, made gun noises, fell down, then laughed and jumped back up. Mama came out again, brushing her hair. Get in here, she yelled. I'm going to whip your butts. Aren't you sorry about little Jimmy dying? The kids minded her then. We got to put on funeral suits, said Robert. Linda said, come on, let's go to the faucet. Robert watched them walk away all slow and go wash their arms and legs at the faucet at the side of the house. Linda's dream about the faucet. I've got to wash my arms and legs at the faucet at the side of the house. I will obey and do it. Now I'm at the side of the house. The boards are painted gray. Shadows of tree leaves move back and forth on the boards. The faucet has something it wants to say or give, something in its mouth, and the something is coming out, a worm. No, it's not a worm, it's an arm, a baby arm. The rest of the baby is trapped in the faucet. The hole is too small. The arm sways and reaches. The dirt he sat on. Robert pushed his hand into the dirt he sat on. 
It was damp and cool. He thought of dead Jimmy, the time he sat under the pine tree next to his daddy's car, playing with the hammer. He was little, he couldn't talk, but he smiled at Robert, then took and hit his daddy's car with the hammer. There was a crackling noise as chips of paint spit off the metal where the dent was. Robert saw when Jimmy's daddy came out after his nap and yelled, damn if I'll ever let you have a hammer again, boy. Jimmy's face made its own darkness. Jimmy sat still in the darkness. Leaving in the funeral car. They were all sitting in the long black funeral car. Mama came and got in. Who did I forget now? She counted all the kids who were trying to behave and sit straight. They were itchy in their funeral clothes. One, two, three. Robert, what's wrong with your face? Linda said, Mama, he's making his face do something. Robert was trying to make his mouth go funny. He was thinking of Jimmy sitting under the tree, the daddy's hand reaching down to take the hammer. Mama turned away quick. A strand of hair on the back of her head lifted like a spider leg. She looked back to count the kids. Who did I forget? I know someone isn't here. Mr. Madison from the funeral company got in behind the wheel. The fine wrinkles on his face made him look sour. His suit-sleeved arm threw forward and his hand dropped on the gear shift. Robert looked out the back window as the funeral car, car pulled away. Someone was running after it. Hey, we did forget someone, he said. Keeping his eyes carefully on the road ahead, Mr. Madison murmured, well, if he couldn't be on time, he'll just have to catch another coach. After a minute, Robert looked back again. He's still back there, he said, and he's catching up. All right, we'll just go faster, said Mr. Madison. He accelerated and the car roared along passing fields and tree breaks. Staring straight ahead, Mama said, Robert, don't look back there at him anymore. Pretty soon they heard the pounding of feet at the side of the car. Mr. Madison muttered, I don't know how someone that small can run so fast. I'm doing 60 already. If I go beyond that, I'll exceed the speed limit. Mama screamed, don't anyone look at him. Michael Goldman. Good evening, everyone. My name is Michael Goldman, and I'm a uh, Danish translator. So I translate Danish literature into English. And I want to thank uh, Meet for Tea for publishing my translations and quite a few other issues. Um, but this is different. Uh, I, this is the first time that I have Danish prose in Meet for Tea. This is an essay uh, written in the 1940s by a Danish writer named Knud Sunnerby, who was a journalist and wrote about 20 books in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, this is called A Journey in 1944. At this time, Denmark was occupied by, uh, Denmark was occupied by Germany as World War II. 
I'm going to read the first paragraph in Danish, and then I'll read the first two pages in English. Um, you can read the rest in the current issue. En rejse i 1944. Duernes klapperne flugt under afgangshalens velvinger. Afskældstagene på perronen med ansigtene vendt bræt opad mod passagererne i vinduerne. Hils nu hjemme. Tak fordi I følte med. Se nu, om I snart kan komme igen. Nej, nu må I da komme til os. En konversation på falderæbet, som stiger til en hektisk fortissimo i det øjeblik, vågendørene bliver smækket i. Farvel. Tak for denne gang. Hils, hils tante. Kom snart igen. Farvel. A journey in 1944. The pigeons flapping retreat under the vaulted ceiling of the departure concourse. The send-offs from people on the platform, faces turned steeply upwards towards the passengers in the windows. Send my love to them back home. Thanks so much for coming. Come back soon. No, next time you can come visit us. A conversation at the last moment that rises to a frenzied crescendo at the second the doors are slammed shut. Goodbye. Thanks so much. Send my love. Hugs to Auntie. Come back soon. Bye. Wave, wave. A young woman takes a few steps on the platform, still holding tight to her boyfriend's hand, which the train is about to carry off. Her face is dead serious. I watch her stop and wave and become smaller and smaller, walk to the other side of the platform where she can be seen better, still waving. Finally, she disappears, and I sense how she feels as she turns her back and alone walks up the steps of the train station while the train puts kilometers and minutes between her and her boyfriend. She was wearing a little red hat, holding a handbag. Why do I remember her and none of the others that were there? An older woman in a tent of silver fox holding two hat boxes forces her way through the aisle. She is both panicked and offended by the fact that she hasn't yet been able to find a seat. Won't you let me get by? She hisses at me and I shrink to my thinnest possible form under her punishing gaze. How am I supposed to get by? She says at the same, in the same tone to the next one. But he is a tall traveling businessman, bright and imperturbable, who in his own good time collects himself to have a look at her. By moving your legs, he says, almost astonished. But there's a seat next to you, she screams suddenly and pushes her way back towards him with her hat boxes. But that is mine, answers the traveling businessman. You can't take up places like that, she says triumphantly and has already passed and about to remove his hat from the seat. Yes, you can. It says so in the newspapers. With an ingratiating smile and pleading face, she angles for agreement from the others in the car oblivious to the fact that they already hate her immensely. The traveling businessman goes to stand outside in the vestibule, can't be bothered to take part in this any longer, leaves it to the others to explain the truth of the matter and get her out. They do. We can hear her demanding voice from the next car. 
Five minutes later, she returns from her fruitless hunt. Attacking with her hat boxes, she fights her way resolutely through the aisle. I don't care. I won't stand for it, she says, ripping the businessman's fedora from the seat, smacking it down angrily on the neighboring passenger, planting herself heavenly and adamantly in the seat, and continuing, without looking at anyone, to speak aloud about excessive gross injustices. The traveling businessman stands in the aisle staring at her with a faraway look in his eyes. Suddenly his attention peaks due to a terrible suspicion. He rises to his full height with a smoldering look in his eyes and murder in his voice. Tell me, are you sitting on my hat? The lady looks away nobly. A, young, a man smiling hands the hat out to him intact. Oh, thank God, he says, relieved, sinking back into his imperturbability, putting the hat on his head. Then I will have to have the conductor remove you, he remarks to the lady and turns to leave again. You can be sure that in another country, a gentleman would not make a lady stand, she says in his direction, nodding to herself. She got him there, and it might be a good thing that others heard it too. I wouldn't either if it were a lady we were talking about. Thank you very much. This is the first time that he's ever been read in English, as far as I know. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being in the audience. Eleanor Lane. So um, my name is Eleanor Lane, um, and I have two poems in the most recent issue. Uh, the first one is called Radiance. Cancer caught her up as sure as the stars crossed the sky from winter to summer. The growing season found her sifting through old photo albums for a picture of her and her factory friends, smoking papery cigarettes on the back steps, sucking the flame into their young pink lungs. She examines their lips for a glimmer, flakes of radium suspended in their red lipstick grins, licked from the paintbrushes on which they, from which they illuminated watch faces. Their lips are dark twists in the overexposed planes of their faces, and she has difficulty seeing herself in all that radiance. The hot summer light caught in the photograph, a three-by-four world created in flash. Were the days really brighter then as the nights were darker? A glowing watch was a marvel then. Now everything glows. Her phone can be a flashlight or a nightlight. She looks into the blue of its home screen, wondering if the girls in China are licking bits of that blue from their fingertips, sewing the light into their cells as she and her friends had one day to ignite. Um, and the second one is called Alewife Season. In the hottest months of summer, tides scatter alewife corpses carelessly across the pale, filthy sand. Girls go to the beach to swim and tan, find slips of silver fish wherever they try to lie. Some are still alive, their gills opening and closing, revealing slices of red like a wound, inflicted and healed, inflicted and healed, until they haven't even the energy left for suffering. Even inland, the slick, salty smell of rotting fish rolls across the thick green lawns, permeates the brick and clappered, the closed tight windows with the curtains hanging slack. The mothers hunch helplessly over their kitchen tables, hiding from the wind, the scent reminds them of period blood, of sex and birth, how any form of bleeding could be a sacrifice, if only some god or another cared to listen. 
How much blood could save them and their daughters, month after month, years? It could stain the flat blue lake scarlet, wine to go with this yearly offering of fish flesh, strewn across the shore for anyone who could want it. If only this annual dying brought the face of God to the lake, made him merciful towards the dying fish and hiding women. Gerald Yell. Hello, I'm Jerry Yell, and um, let's see what's the best angle to see this. This is a piece called Best Practices. Best practices were rarely tested the way the phrase implied. Not that anything shady or dishonest was going on. It's not like people were being deliberately disingenuous. We think they would like to have tested their practices out and stood them up against other practices so that they could be judged by a jury of their peers and thus live up to the name best practices. But time pressures being what they were and are, presenters presented ideas at the best practice fairs and hoped that others would try them out and find them good enough to incorporate into their own professional repertoires and pass them on at future best practice fairs. In this sense, while there was no formal process and while new unvetted processes were constantly being promulgated, a case could be made that something useful was taking place, something that could be called practices or new practices or has anybody tried this and found that it works? One idea was presented a few years ago by a therapist who claimed to have had great success with a set of discarded video game discs that she found in someone's trash. She showed them to her couple's therapy clients. Each disc was coated with a fictional landscape containing mountains, forests, rivers and streams, deserts and cities with building interiors the viewer could navigate and explore by clicking with a cursor. The graphics, while not exactly high resolution, contained something color schemes reminiscent of Windows 98 and NT, soothing color schemes. The buildings were like artifacts left behind by some long forgotten civilization. At the same time, they resembled structures you might find in the Southwest, the Middle East, or Central Asia, perhaps some parts of Africa. The therapist asked her patients to imagine the people who inhabit the buildings. What language did they speak? For how many generations had their forebears inhabited their homes? What were their relationships like with their adult children, with their marriage partners and siblings? What did they eat? How make their living? What did they do for excitement on Saturday night? Here's where we expected to delve into the specifics of various marital crises, those that deal with conflicting personal and relational needs, those that arise when people take care of everything themselves on their own, and those that stem from seeking help from secret or not so secret secondary partners. Instead, she took a different tack. She asked if the people in these landscapes 
had best practices they shared with professional colleagues. Of course they had. Everybody had best practices. One couple said theirs took place on a rainy day when the football coach had everyone stripped down to their skivvies and raced through the streets of town. Another told of keeping the up and down going until their partners begged them to stop, then abruptly ending the relationship. They'd heard somewhere that those partners would remember them with bitter fondness forever after. She had her couples write their best practices down. She compiled them and studied them for patterns that might help in her research. She was only able to do this once, as the exercise generated enough material to keep her in business until she retired. But the original idea of using the disks to take patients into a fictional landscape where they can only where they can open up and confront their issues inspired several colleagues to give it a try. Whether or not their success rate comes near enough to anything that could be considered as best practice, we might never know, just as we might never think outside the best practice box and the marital fidelity paradigm or climb the protective silos we've dumped ourselves into so we can see the effects our best practices have on others. Thanks. And we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back. The Fawns.
song and then the East Hampton Sables band will be up. Savings band. Come on, murder. Oh. <laughs> 
Thank you. I ran out of breath from dancing to the phones. This song is about East Hampton. It's called Hometown. Any of you guys know East Hampton? Yeah. Ever heard of it? No. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were going to play. through the woods and finding a box of pornography. That's how he got himself in the hospital. That's a lie, but part of this is true. Pornography part is true.
All right. Oh we got two more. This one is called Slut. <laughs>
Wasn't that great? Thanks for sticking around till the end, guys. Yeah. If you don't stick around till the end, you miss stuff. We plugged it at the top. We're plugging it at the back. Please like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Share with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to help us continue doing what we're doing, please go to Meet for Teacast uh, on anchor.fm and click the old donate button, or you can go to meetfortea.com. We have a donate page there. Anything and everything is appreciated. Of course, if you want some bang for your buck and you want to support Meet for Tea and the Meet for Tea cast, you could simply subscribe to Meet for Tea. Go to meetfortea.com forward slash subscribe. And um, that's the very best way to support all these operations. Absolutely, because the Meet for Tea cast exists because Meet for Tea, the value review, the magazine, is why we do this. If you don't want to subscribe, you just want to dip your toe in the water, you can buy a PDF or an individual issue at meetfortea.com. We should mention, also, if you live locally, we have a new distribution point. Meet for Tea is now available at Wedgeworks, where they have so many beautiful housewares and pieces of jewelry and Mm -hmm. other books. It's worth a visit. That's on Cottage Street in East Hampton. Also on Cottage Street is Book Moon, another place where you can get meat. They also carry meat for tea. In Northampton, uh, there's Broadside Books. Mm Mm-hmm. And they carry it. And there are some distribution points in Amherst which may be coming back online, so you might want to check in with them. You can even encourage them if you can't Stop find... Stop in at Amherst Books and say, hey, or I Hastings. used to buy meat for tea here. Where exactly. is it? Exactly. Or Hastings. We're, we're working on, you know, with the pandemic and all, it's been a little tricky getting these things sorted, but we're working on getting those things back in order. But if you check in there and they don't have the new issue, you can go, hey, do you have the new issue? I came in here to buy this and yeah. I'm not finding it. And that actually helps us a lot because if people are looking for what we are putting out and you they can't find it, and the store owners realize, ooh, we should have it. One last thing. I've been begging you all. We want we want to hear your voices. We want to read your v- reviews on air. We'd love to play your voices, your voice memos to us about whatever you want. There's two ways to do that. One of them is go to anchor.fm and there is a microphone icon on the Meet for Teacast page and you can press that and record a voice memo and send it to us right that way. I want to open up a little contest for future issues. Mm. If you follow Meet for Tea at all, you might have noticed that we alternate meat years with tea years. Oh. And we are currently in a meat year. Now I do have the theme chosen for the upcoming issue because it was time sensitive that I do so but why don't you call us up and weigh in with your future meet themes for the June issue and for the September well for the for the September and the December issue sorry correct so why don't you, why don't you guys call in and give us your vote what, what should the next meet themes be if you're really forward-looking, you can go all T for 2022, but let's concentrate on 2021 for now. We've got a lot to do. Uh, the other thing, too, is um, if you want to leave us a voice message of some kind, you can also record it on your phone or other device, and you can email it to the meat for teacast at gmail.com. That's right. Like you can do anything, inquiries or suggestions 
for future shows, people that have contributed to the magazine you might want to hear from, or maybe you attended a Cirque and you remember a particular band or a spoken word portion of the show that you would like to hear again, odds are very good we can help you out with that. You gotta let us know though, because, you know, you gotta tell us we're not mind readers. Yes. And this is ideally an interactive thing. So let's get some of your voices (laughs) up in here. Yeah. Well, thanks for interacting for sure. So here's to more of that. Please do now. Now. I mean, in five, four, three, two. You press the record button, right? One. Anyhow, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Stay safe and be well. We'll catch you again in a couple weeks. And, well, you know what to do. We already told you all about it. Thanks for joining us on the Me for Tea cast. Good night. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Sewn Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth. Meat for Tea on Instagram and on the Meat for Tea and Meat for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>